0: Why did I do that? I wanted to get us to think of um, what was it that enabled you to identify these people? What caused you to be able to shout out those those answers that you did? The clothes that they wore, the clothes that they wore, clothes, clothes fit our bodies, and we wear clothes um, based off identities. Uh, Sometimes our identities require us to wear certain clothes, but also uh, many of us will choose the clothes that we wear to um, display a particular identity to the world around us that we want them to see us as, Um, and that might work out in a whole bunch of different ways. But basically, that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to do in a metaphorical sense in the bunch of scriptures that we are unpacking right now in the the book of Ephesians in this mini-series called Walk This Way. That is what Paul is trying to get at. And um, let me just briefly explain um, why he's using that metaphor. We've gotten to this point of the book where um, he's basically saying, hey, as Christ followers, and he's writing to a church, as Christ followers, you are a new creation. This is the big point that he's saying. You're a new creation. There was a point in your life where um, your sins had separated you from God But by the grace of God, the death of Jesus, and your faith in that, your sins have been taken care of. You are completely forgiven. You are completely set free. You are a new creation. You are born again. You are adopted into a family. And you've been reconciled to God. And now, there are things for you to walk in based on that. In fact, way back in Ephesians 2, Paul said um, all this stuff, he summed up the gospel. There's a story that I've just said. Then he said, um, because there are good works that have been prepared beforehand for you to walk in. So what he's saying is, um, you have a new identity. You are a new person. And so there are going to be some clothes, some things that you're going to need to put off and some new clothes, some new habits, some new lifestyles that you are going to need to put on that display and fit the new identity, the new person that you have been created in Christ Jesus. And he doesn't um, just leave it there. He doesn't want us to just put on these new clothes, these new ways of life, these new habits, um, just because we should, because they do match up. Um, No, it's actually one of the very things that we have been forgiven and set free To do and to participate in our sin, the penalty, the power of sin has been taken away so that we might walk in a new way of life. And he wouldn't just leave it there. He'd say this new way of life that God has called you to is not just a new way of life for the sake of being called to a new way of life. Christ and Jesus, well, that's the same person, and Paul and me would say the new ways that we've been called to walk in are good for us. We believe they are from a good God who has good plans, who has good purposes for our lives, and he's calling us to walk in these things because they actually would cause us to flourish and they'd cause the world to flourish. And so we never want to be people as Christians who just do things for the sake of doing things. It's just like Polly said. There is a whole host of reasons. Um, Primarily, I want to underscore because they are good and they're good for us and they're good for the world around us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, and I want to give three disclaimers uh, tonight. Number one, we have a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of text to cover. There's so much to be said, um, and there's so much more that we could say on what we're going to do. So um, I can't make every caveat and every disclaimer that I'd like to make, um, but I hope that you just offer me that grace, Um, but we've got a lot to cover through, so also, we're, we're going to just plow through together. So we're going to put a little bit of endurance caps on, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go for it. Uh, and it's going, to be, it's going to be amazing. The second disclaimer I want to make is this. Um, tonight, in many ways, and it was a word that I felt this morning, um, God wants to do heart surgery on us. God is going to, to, tonight, perform deep surgery in our hearts, in our souls, in many of our lives. And um, the, the beautiful thing about heart surgery is that it's for your good, once again. It is for our good. It saves us. If we have a heart condition and we need heart surgery, I'm talking physically here, um, that's a good thing because it's actually going to cause us to live like we weren't able to live before. And that's what God's going to do tonight. But heart surgery is going to also require um, some cutting and some scalping. And, um, and there may be some, some pain that you might experience as the Word of God cuts into your life tonight and calls you to things. And, and, and what may happen is there may be two ways that your heart may be pulled tonight. One would be that your heart would yield towards what God has to say, the things he's calling us to as Christ followers, and you would go with that and your heart would soften towards the word of God. The other direction is that your heart may be tempted to harden tonight to the word of God, to God himself. And I want to just um, say that up front, but invite you and say right now, to whatever degree it's possible to you, open your heart to God tonight. Yield to His Word. Yield to His goodness. Um, and don't let your heart be hardened. Um, that's my prayer for us tonight. And the third disclaimer is this. Is that Paul, in the message, in, 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 in the book of Ephesians, and me tonight, are talking primarily to Christ followers. Talking to those of us who know Jesus and love Jesus, who've committed to our whole lives to, to, to follow Jesus. Um, and so that means for those of you who are, are not Christ followers and you are wrestling with this thing of faith, or faith is something you left behind and you, you're rechecking it out and you're re exploring, I want to say um, I'm not primarily talking to you tonight because there's going to be a lot of do's and don'ts. And the last thing I want you to hear tonight is me or God even saying, here's a bunch of things for you to do and here's a bunch of things for you to stop doing. That's not the message of the Bible. Um, I don't, I'm not just preaching morality tonight. Um, what, I'm, what I want you, especially those of you who are exploring Jesus, is to pay attention not just to the do's and the don'ts, but the whys behind why we as Christ followers would want to do certain things and not do certain things. And the motives behind that. And I want you specifically to wrestle with the person and the work of Jesus. If if you're exploring, that's where I want to draw your attention tonight. Who is Christ? Um, Do I need him? Do I believe I need him? Um, Do I want him? Do I believe that he loves me? Do I believe that what he says is true? Those are the things that I want you to to, to grapple with and wrestle with. Um, so those are my disclaimers out the way. We're going to read um, sort of the whole passage that we've been going through for the last three weeks, and, um, and then we'll, we'll get to work. So Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 5, verse 5. It's going to be on the screens. You can follow there. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you, Christ followers, the church of Ephesus, <clears throat> must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart towards God. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one uh, we are members one of another be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil let the thief no longer steal But rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And now, our passage for tonight until the end of what I'm reading. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all manis, malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's obviously a, a text that is pulling no punches, and we're going to uh, pull no punches tonight. Um, and uh, what I want us to, uh, how we're going to break this text down, this, the slide will come up now, is um, we're going to look at the new clothes that we've been asked to put on tonight. Three things in particular as Christ followers. Sex that fits our new identity. Words that fit and emotions that fit. So that's where we're going. Um, I've reordered uh, the order of the points just for the sake of flow of the message, and so we are going to chat about sex up front, even though that is the last thing in the in the text as it, as it is. Okay. So we're going to kick off. Let's go. Uh, we're all in this together. Um, number one, sex that fits. Let's unpack this. Let's read it again, what Paul says. He says this. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Um, you're going to notice a rhythm to how these points are going to unfold tonight. Paul's going to tell us to put something off, then to put something on, and then he's going to give us a motivation why. And so that's how we're going to break this down. And so... The thing that Paul asks us to put off here as Christ followers is put off sexual immorality. That's what he says. And um, we need to do some definitions here because there's a lot of words in this text that need some explaining. And so what is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is our English translation of the Greek word pornea. That might sound familiar. It's where we get our word pornography and other such words from. And pornea, sexual immorality, is essentially a, a junk drawer term for Any sexual lust or activity in any shape or form outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That's what sexual immorality is. It's it's literally everything else out that's not in that context. And off the bat, straight away, let's just be honest, that is highly controversial in our culture and in this cultural moment. I'm not... we know that. Uh, we know that. That is, that, is the, that is what we experience. But I also want to say that that was also the same case 2,000 years ago in the city of Ephesus. Um, they were a city that um, explored sexuality in so many shapes and forms. Everyone had sex with all different people um, in all sorts of ways, um, um, not just with one person, but with multiple people. In fact, the temple of Artemis in the great city of Ephesus had temple prostitutes that you would go to and sleep with as a form of worship to the goddess Artemis. And so this word, although as it comes right now, it pops off the page and it, it can immediately create some tension in our hearts. It would have done exactly the same 2,000 years ago. So that's the word sexual immorality. Um, impurity is basically a word, it's, it means dirtiness. And the reason Paul's linking it here as well is because sex, when it has been misused, can give a sense and an experience of dirtiness and uncleanness to people. Uh, if, uh, when, when, when ladies have been raped, one of the first things the majority of them will do is go and take a shower because of the fact that they feel dirty, they feel violated, they feel impure. And that is what happens when sex is used outside of his context. It can bring that sense upon us. He can bring that sense upon anyone. And then Paul talks about covetousness. And that's basically wanting things that aren't yours or wanting things that you can't have or wanting people that you can't have. And I think he's linking it very closely here with sex once again. And he's basically saying, there are, there are people that you cannot sleep with who are not your spouse and who you should not sleep with. Sleep with. But you may desire to, to do that and you want to act on that. That's what he's talking about here. And then again, one more definition, I just need to do this. He also mentions uh, idolatry, idolatry, and what is idolatry? It's not a word we just commonly use in slang in, in Cape Town. Um, idolatry is this, idolatry is the worship of anything or any person um, other than God, okay? And you might think to yourself right now, um, am I really a worshiper? And actually, yes, every single human being is a worshiper. Every single human being devotes themselves with their time and their money and their energy and their gifts towards certain things or certain people. Um, And so we can actually, in many ways, devote ourselves and worship things like money, sex, sex and power. And we can do whatever we want to do to experience sex um, and to devote all our money and our time towards that pursuit. And that is the case where it then becomes an idol, a false god, where we've turned away from the true God and worship that. The alternative is to take things like money, sex, and power and use them actually as a way to worship God by stewarding them appropriately in ways that honors God and pleases God. And so that's what Paul is talking about here when he talks about Idolatry. And so that's hopefully set us up with a little bit of context, a little bit of definitions as we look at this text now. And I want to unpack it just through these three lenses of talking about sex here. I'm um, looking at sex as three options to view it. Um, you might have heard this before. As gross, as good, or as God. What I mean by this is um, some people and some misguided Christians um, have a view of sex that is inherently bad and gross. That sex in and of itself is not a good thing. It's something that's just gross, and we should only really try and participate in it when we have to for the sake of procreation. Um, and to be honest, a lot of the outside world thinks Christians think that, and we don't. It's not true. It's not the right way to view sex. Rather, how we do view sex and how we should view sex is as good, as a good gift from God that he created that he intended human beings to participate in it. And so, I, like, just think about it. I want you to know, God wasn't um, freaked out and caught by surprise when all of a sudden human beings started having sex. He didn't get caught of God. He wasn't sitting up in his office, and the angel Gabriel came and bust into his office and said, God, you are not going to believe what they've discovered. And you, you, you're not going to believe. They, 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 they figured out how to use that stuff. And God was like, oh my gosh, uh, 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 what do we do? That's not how it happened. That's not how it happened. God created sex before the fall and before the entry of sin into this world. It is his good gift to us as humanity to be enjoyed. It's a gift that is to bless. And last week, Paul... Paul Moore, not the Apostle Paul, because we're going to get confused here. Um, When he was preaching, he spoke about, he gave this illustration of uh, fire in a fireplace. And when fire is in a fireplace, it gives warmth and it gives light to the house and it can be enjoyed and it can bless the people there. But if you take that fire out of its proper context and you place it on the couch or you place it on the carpet, um, there can be disastrous consequences that happen there. And the same is true with any gift from God, including the gift of sex. There is a, there is a proper place for it to, to do its work and to bless people and to bless those around us. And so we need to, as Christ followers, own this. Sex is good. Sex is a gift. It is designed for a purpose. It has a place. Up and against these two views of sex is gross and sex is good is what I would say and put to you is the dominant view of culture, which in many ways would say sex is God. And what I mean by that is sex is ultimate. Where God is meant to be ultimate, our culture has said sex is ultimate. You need to pursue it. And if you are not expressing yourself and having sex with whoever you want, how many many times you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, you are being short-circuited and you are not experiencing the life you were meant to have. That is what our culture pushes on us all the time, and sex drives everything. It doesn't just, it's not just that message. Sex drives everything. Sex drives television. Sex drives advertising. It really is one of the dominant pursuits of our culture, and just consider this. Um, we could be looking up to the heavens in Cape Town, okay, and seeing the heavens displaying the glory of God and considering that, but instead, in Cape Town, we look up to the heavens, and what do we see? We see the Mavericks banner flying across the sky, beckoning us to come to the gentleman's club and experience a whole bunch of stuff. Our our culture absolutely thinks sex is the most important thing, this huge thing that we're all meant to pursue, and we're all meant to devote ourselves to. And what Paul is saying here, and he's saying this to Christ followers, because he says, um, to the saints, and the saint is not someone who is perfect. Um, Christ followers are not perfect. Saints, holy ones, are people who have been set apart from the rest of the world. So they are distinct, and that's who we're meant to be. And so he said, as people who are distinct, we need to put some stuff off. We need to put off sexual immorality, filthy talk, dirty jokes, pornography. He says this stuff shouldn't even be named among us. Why? Because they're not proper for us. They don't fit us. They don't fit our identities as Christ followers. And what we need to do, and this is going to be a wrestle in, in, in many ways, is we need to consciously and actively work to put these things off. We need to consciously and actively work to get rid of them from our lives because they're a perversion of the true nature and gift that sex is. And that means we need to do what we need to do. When Jesus spoke on sex, he spoke metaphorically on this one sense, but in very stark language when he said, um, you need to go gouge out your eye. You need to go cut off your hand. It's metaphorical language, but it, 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 it's, it's stark. And because he was serious about it, and if he was here today, he'd say things like, get rid of that app. Get rid of that app. Do not flirt with that person because it's going to lead somewhere. It's a problem, and, and, and you, need to, you need to deal with it. You need to move towards it. And um, I felt compelled to put this in my message. Um, If you are a Christ follower tonight and you are um, living and sleeping with someone who is not your spouse, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, um, God right now is speaking to you and saying, hey, this is a problem. This is something you need to put off. And actually, to be honest, you, right now, if you are planning to to leave here tonight and continue in that, and you're planning to go do that tonight or keep doing it for the rest of the week or the rest of the year, um, you have two legitimate options tonight before you that God would say. He would say, number one, um, move out and stop it. Put it off is your one option. And your second option is to get married tonight, and Steph has a marriage license, and I'm, I'm kind of being serious here. Um, this is a legitimate option for you. Get married or stop it. Those are your two options. Maybe Steph will ask you to walk a bit of a journey with him, and I put him on the spot here, but to be honest, those are your two legitimate options to honor Jesus now. If you are someone who loves Jesus and, 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 and says you're following him, then that's what he would be calling you to do tonight. So Paul's saying, put off these things, put off all these things. Rather put on and then it's interesting what he says, rather put on thanksgiving. And I think he's saying thanksgiving for everything, but including thanksgiving for the good gift of sex that God has given. So we actually should be people who thank God for his gift, that he would even design something like it, that he would actually give it to the human race, that he would um, consider and think of this thing that is a source of pleasure and is, it serves marriages and it's a glue that, that keeps um, husbands and wives together and keeps families together. It's a beautiful gift. It produces the blessing of children and, and so much more. And Paul is saying, um, all of you need to give thanks for it. First of all, we all need to give thanks for, because without the gift of sex, none of us would be here, okay? That's just straight up. You wouldn't be sitting here without the gift of sex, because you were conceived by that. I'm not sure if everyone's getting that. Um, But secondly, to be honest, um, we all, whether we're going to experience it right now, or we're never going to experience it, like the Lord Jesus never experienced it when he was a man on earth, we need to give thanks for it, because it strengthens everyone. It fights for your own purity, and it fights for the purity of those around you. And so Paul would say, put off these things and put on thanksgiving. And then we want to ask the question, well, what can motivate us to do all this? What are some of the motivations? And there's lots of reasons, some I've mentioned, um, but Paul does have specific ones that he goes into here, and so we're going to unpack them. And when he's talking here, once again, he's talking to people, Christ followers, first of all, who are um, persistently living Uh, The word is present continuous, okay? He says those who are right now doing this, living in this, pursuing these things, that's who he's speaking to. He's not talking to um, those of you who are not Christ followers, and he's not talking to a Christ follower who has made a bad decision, has messed up, has recognized it, and is turning back towards God and saying, I want you, um, I'm sorry, and receiving the fresh um, sense of forgiveness and fellowship with God. That's not who he's talking to. He's talking to Christ followers who are pursuing it and actually living it. In these things. So, the motivation that Paul puts before us here um, to put off sexual immorality, to put on Thanksgiving, is this. In verse 5, he says, Because we will have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. I think he's meaning that now. And then in verse 6, which we're not touching on tonight, but is part of a whole message next week, um, his other reason is because there is a real day of judgment coming, and there will be consequences for our actions on that day as well, um, not just in the present, but then too. So I want to just unpack this briefly. Having no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God, I think it means a few things. I think it means a few things. Uh, Firstly, as I say, if you're a Christ follower, you're living this life right now, Paul's saying you are missing out on the kingdom of God now. You are missing out on the rule and the reign of God in your life. His good rule, his good reign, his good stuff for you. You are missing out on that. And you are missing out in many ways on fellowship with the Holy Spirit. An experience of God that you could be having right now. Regardless of how you think or feel you and God are doing. Because we can think and feel that we're doing well. But the truth of the matter is, Paul's saying, you guys are not doing well. There's a a glaring thing that's between you and the person you say you love, and the person who loves you. There is something between you two right now, you and God. That's what he's meaning. Additionally, I think he's saying this, if you claim the name of Christ, and you are actually never going to turn from this life, you are never going to stop pursuing these things, um, then he would be saying, then you you, you probably don't have an inheritance in the kingdom now, and are not going to have an inheritance then, because you're not in the kingdom. Because... If, if, if you're obviously not loving the king, if the king has called you to something and you are saying, stuff that, I don't want that, then maybe he's saying, you do not have inheritance in the kingdom because you're not a part of the kingdom. And lastly, if you are pursuing these things um, and you don't know and you don't love Jesus right now and, and, and that, that's not where you are in your life, Paul's saying these things because he's saying, well, then you're not going to experience and inherit The kingdom blessings and life of God, relationship with God, um, relationship with him into eternity. You're not going to be able to experience that because you need to turn from him and surrender to him and repent of your sin and turn around and receive his forgiveness. And God is saying this to you tonight um, because he doesn't want you to not experience him. He doesn't want you to not experience his good rule and his, his good reign, which is the kingdom of God. He wants that for you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you can have that. He's not trying to be harsh. He's trying to be loving. He is being loving. That's what he's saying to us because he loves us. And right now, that's probably, I I would surmise, that the Holy Spirit right now is working in a whole bunch of us very differently because he loves you, because he loves you, and he's got good things for you. That's sex that, 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 that fits who we are. And I would, there was so, there's so much more that I could say and many disclaimers that I'd love to make. Um, and this is gonna be something that some of us might need to work out over time. Um, but we are gonna just keep going for the sake of um, getting through um, these verses tonight. I hope that's fine. So that's sex that fits. We're moving on now to words that fit. We're, we're, we're taking a corner. Turn with me. Words that fit. Ephesians 4, 29 to 30. Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What Paul tells us here, Christ follows us, is to put off corrupt and evil talk. Corrupt and evil talk. Put it away. Um, The mid-1800s, many of you will know this quote that got coined then. The pen is mightier than the sword, Okay. And the whole idea with that was words um, can do more damage to individuals and can sometimes topple nations and ideologies um, better than uh, a weapon that we have formed with our human hands. Words have massive, massive impact. Uh, The power of life and death can be found in the tongue. Uh, The Apostle James, he says this. He says, Consider the ships, okay, these massive ships with their massive sails. Though they're so large, they are guided by a very small rudder. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. There is massive power and massive trajectories that words can set us on. Who among here, us here has, has not been hurt by people's words in their life. I doubt there's there's one person here who could say I've never been hurt by someone else's words towards me. Some of us have, have been told so many things. Some of us have been told that we will never amount to anything. Some of you have been told that. Some of you have been told you are stupid. You are ugly. You are worthless. Some of us have been told these things sometimes by people that we actually love and trust dearly. These words have been spoken over us. Maybe some people have said other terrible things to you. They've said, hey, I wish I'd never met you. I wish I'd never met you. I wish you'd never been born. I hope I never ever see you again. Maybe you've received these kinds of words. I don't know the context of of how you would have received, but maybe you have received similar things. Many of these words have actually altered the the course of your life and have altered the course of of people's lives. Because why? They create identities that we live out of, that we put on clothes and we put on ways of life because this is who we think we are. And once we have gotten identity, that is going to cause us to pursue certain things and to say no to certain things. And we can track these things back years, decades in our life, which which is what's crazy because they shape us And they direct us. And sometimes these words that have been spoken over you, over me, um, were actually just careless. They weren't intentional. Actually, they, they might have been in jest even, but they were careless. A story from my life. About 10 years ago, I had just graduated from film school. Um, And all my mates, obviously besides the ones who were at film school with me, um, were studying uh, law and medicine and all those types of things. And and I had studied film, and I was busy trying to freelance to the best of my ability, um, doing weddings and doing corporate videos, and I was delivering pizza in the evenings. Um, And for whatever reason, in that time, a group of my friends, um, completely in jest, started making jokes to me saying, oh, bro, get a real job. I mean, these guys were still studying. They actually hadn't even graduated yet, but they would make the trips of, oh, get a real job. Ha, ha, you're lazy. Like, you're not working like nine to five. Meanwhile, I'm busy burning the midnight oil elsewhere. And these words created such a complex in me. They, 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 they did such stuff deep inside me that I actually said to myself, you know what, stuff this. I made a decision um, consciously that no one will ever, ever call me lazy again. No one will ever be able to accuse me of slacking off and being lazy again. And that led me to basically decide, hey, I'm I'm going to burn myself out. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to sacrifice my health. I'm going to sacrifice my time. I'm going to sacrifice friends. Um, I'm going to burn myself out on this altar of of productivity so that no one else will ever accuse me of this. And I still struggle with this today. Okay, It came up at the speech at my wedding that my best man gave. Um, Paul challenged me on this in the last few weeks. My wife challenges me on this all the time. And there may be other um, things that, that, that have culminated in this, but actually one of the main ones is I can trace back to careless words spoken to me 10 years ago that have created an identity in me that have shaped a huge part of my life, my health, many, many things. So that's why Jesus would even say, hey, be careful about the careless words you say because you will be held to account on judgment day for every single careless word as you have spoken. And so Paul's saying, put away these things. Put away corrupting talk. Corrupting. Corrupt corruption breaks things down. It breaks things down. Put it away and put on talk that builds up. The 100% opposite. Instead of breaking down, put on talk that builds up. Choose to encourage people. Choose to encourage people in the progress they're making. Choose to encourage people in the gifts that they have been given by God, that they're stepping into. Encourage them in these things, the people around you. Choose to give people wisdom instead of folly when you have the opportunity in conversations. Choose wisdom over folly. Choose to teach people what is God's best for them. Teach people from the scriptures. Show them what God has for them, who God's called them to be. This is talk that builds up. It's talk that is going to unify us and strengthen us. And we have to figure out how to build people up and how to strengthen people, as Paul says here, that fits the occasion. That fits the occasion. Because there's going to be times that we need to encourage people. And there's going to be different times when we need to comfort people. And there are going to be times where we need to correct people. That is a form of building up. If, if, if someone is doing something dangerous and foolish and you don't correct them, you are not loving them and you are not building them up. You are corrupting them more and hurting them. And so there is a time and a place for all these things. But we want to, we want to discern and we want to do our best to pick the right moment. And I just have a... Terrible example I remember I got to witness um, at a, a men's camp we had 10 years ago. Um, so picture about 20 guys out in the bush around a fire at night. And one of the guys has been asked to share his testimony with everyone. And um, it was amazing. He, he shared it and he, he, just, like, he just bled his heart out and shared the most hectic, vulnerable things. Part of his story was that his mom was murdered and she died in his arms. So he shares this whole story with us probably in less than five minutes later, another guy from the group comes over and says, hey, I just feel I got this word for you. I feel like God says um, that that you're proud and you need to humble yourself. Fail. Absolute fail. I died inside. I died inside. This guy is absolutely vulnerable. He's just bled his heart out and you've just come and said, you're proud. Humble yourself. What the heck? I don't know if that was a true word or not. That's not the point. The point is, not the occasion, did not fit the occasion at all. And this guy just looked back at him, and he just said, like, he made a joke. He said, you're right, I'm, I'm a flippin' proud, he said some stuff, I can't repeat. But anyways, bad, bad, fail moments. So we need to learn to pick our moments when we're going to build people up, and we need to do it appropriately. But we are meant to be people who are ministering God's grace to each other In the words that we speak. God's unmerited favor is meant to flow towards the people around you by the way you speak to them. So what can motivate us? What can motivate us? What does Paul give us here? He says that we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit who is working to build up the body. I've added the work up to build the body because that I think is the bigger context of Ephesians 4. Um, if you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit has now taken up residence in you. When you trusted in Christ, God himself, the Holy Spirit, came and is living inside of you. And he has sealed you. He has stamped you as his and, and, and s- sealed you for the day of redemption that is coming. You are his. He's marked you. That's either true or that's not. And so now the Holy s- the Spirit, who is a person, is now living inside you and he's working to change you, to shape you, to mold you, to turn you into the person who you actually are truly underneath, your new identity. And what happens is when we, when, we, when we speak with corrupting words and we say hurtful things, it grieves him. It hurts him. It hurts God who is living inside of us, the God that we love and the God that loves us. It hurts him. And it hurts and hinders the work that he's trying to do in and through us. It is literally the polar opposite of what he's trying to achieve in and through us. And that's the motivation that Paul gives us here. And this is huge because think about it. If we do this, it's going to short circuit what God wants to do in other people through us. God's grace is, is, is going to get cut off when it's meant to flow through us to other people. That's huge. That is a huge, huge motivation to put off corrupt talk because it's not who we are and it's not who we're becoming as we go towards the day of redemption that we've been sealed for. It doesn't fit us. It doesn't fit us. It's not who God has made us to be. God is working through us to strengthen His church and build up His body. That's words that fit. Lastly, emotions that fit. Emotions that fit. Ephesians 4, 31 to 5, 2. This is our last one. Let all bitterness and wrath, let all Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul says here, put or put off bitterness and everything that's going to flow from it. Put off bitterness and everything else that's going to flow from it. Um, I'm not sure what the levels of emotional intelligence are like in this room. Clearly my friend from the camp 10 years ago, low levels of emotional intelligence. Um, but I'm not sure what, where yours are at. I'm not sure if you are good at being able to figure out and articulate um, how you're feeling and why you're feeling it. Um, I'm not great with that. Uh, the, the elders, we're busy going through a book right now and, and learning to be better at this and figure this stuff out. Um, so if you are like me, you might need some help to figure out, actually, am I someone who's bitter, um, and, uh, and having bitterness towards someone right now, and if so, why, and if so, who, and, and all that kind of stuff, and so um, here are just some quick signs of bitterness um, that might help you recognize the fact that you might be bitter for some reason at someone, and that's another thing to, to work on, but figure out, but here's some signs uh, that you may be bitter. You have imaginary conversations in your mind with someone, okay, okay? When you have imaginary conversations in your mind with someone, you've probably got bitterness somewhere in your heart for some reason. Or you feel the need to slander someone um, to other people. So there's a moment and an opportunity comes up and you're like, yeah, that guy, blah, 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 And you take them down in front of a whole bunch of people. Maybe you did that because you're bitter towards that person. Um, You replay a conversation or an experience over and over and over in your mind. Okay, you might be reading a book. You might be reading the Bible, and you read two pages of this, and then you get to the end, and you're like, I have not looked at one of those words. All I've been doing is thinking about that conversation in the back of my mind that I've just had. It might be a sign that there's bitterness that we need to deal with. If you're happy when someone else fails, you may be bitter. If you complain often, you might be bitter, If you think everyone is out to get you, you You might be bitter. When you don't acknowledge other people's gifts and talents and skills, you might be bitter. And if you dislike, I enjoyed this, if you dislike cheerful and confident individuals, you might be bitter. Right now, I feel fairly cheerful and confident, and so you might be um, hating me right now, and maybe that's a sign that you are bitter, that you need to deal with. I just want to put that out there. But these are some helpful um, litmus tests to figure out what is going on in my heart. Where am I? And um, I've noticed a bunch of these signs in my life in the last month that I've been grappling with and wrestling with and processing. And so if, if these signs are, are triggering stuff in you right now, um, what you'll need to do is actually um, a, a bunch of things. One, give your mind time to start thinking about stuff. You might need to give yourself space for su- your subconscious to start joining a few dots and processing what might be going on under the surface. You might need to get out a journal and honestly just start writing stuff down, start Writing out that conversation that's frustrating you. Write out why you're frustrated, who you might be frustrated with. That might be a helpful thing. Um, Go and have conversations with people and bounce stuff off. Let them ask you questions all as a way of actually getting to what is happening underneath the surface. But let me ask you this question now. Um, Who are we most likely to get bitter with? Who are we most likely to get bitter with? I'll tell you who I really don't think we're going to get bitter with. Strangers. Strangers that hurt us. We're probably not going to get bitter. If, if, if a stranger comes and he does something terrible to you and he hurts you um, and he says something to you, um, let's be honest, you'll think they're an idiot. You'll think, thank you, God, that that's not a person that I know or care about. These are the things that will come into your head. But you, you're probably not going to be bitter towards them. You're probably not going to harbor those conversations and think of all those things. No, those symptoms are normally going to come when someone who is close to us has, has hurt us. A spouse, a friend... A family member, a brother or sister in Christ, those are the relationships that bitterness will normally um, come from, not some some stranger that, that that walked into your life for five seconds and Paul mentions it here to the church because we are a family and we are fallen human beings, and each and every one of us in, in the church is sinful. And so we are going to hurt each other from time to time, and we are going to need to deal with that. It's, 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 it's not going to work out for you to just up and leave this church or up and leave the city or the country um, if, if there's an issue with someone around you. We need to deal with these things in community. That's why Paul writes it to a community. And bitterness, what we're talking about here, bitterness is an on-ramp to all those other sins that he mentions there in verse 31. Okay, and That's why he says, remove all, remove all bitterness. We have to get to the bottom of it. We have to get to the root of it. We have to cut it out. Consider cancer. If if you do not cut out every bit of cancer, if you leave just one small bit, those cells will replicate and those cells will spread. And they do not lead to life. they, They lead to death. That's the image right here. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews would say, um, beware of uh, bitterness and that no root of bitterness takes, takes root because it will grow up and it will defile many, not just yourself but people around you. It, it has an effect. And what it does is it leads to agitation and it leads to frustration and it leads to anger. And then that leads to action. It leads to clamor. It leads to fighting. That's what Paul's saying there. Whether that's verbal, whether that is physical, it can lead there. And then it can lead to slander, okay? If, if, if you having it out with the one person wasn't enough, you're going to bring a whole bunch of other people in for you to take down this person in front of, okay? And maybe it's not in person. Maybe you're just going to get online and you are going to tune someone out in front of the watching world to take them down. And then that ultimately ends up in all forms of malice. And malice is, is terrible. Malice is simply doing whatever you need to do to intentionally hurt someone. Whatever you need to do. That's where bitterness, the root of bitterness leads to. It's huge. And so by the grace of God, we need to put it off. That's what God's lovingly saying to us. By the grace of God, put it off. Put it off. And maybe if none of this stuff convinces you, I just want you to think of this. Just think of this question. Um, Do you personally enjoy hanging around a bit of (laughs) people? Do you, do you enjoy it? Do you just say, oh, God, please, today, when I think about my day coming up, if one of the blessings you could give me, if I could just sit down for an hour with a really bitter person and enjoy a conversation. That's not that we don't want that. And so think, if you're a bitter person, if you are just consistently bitter, no one's going to want to hang out with you and spend time with you. And therefore, no one's ever going to be able to even hear about the God that you love and serve. We're never going to be able to point people to Christ if people don't even want to hang out with us. Maybe that could just be one more reason that we could consider. So he says, put it off, put it off, and put on kindness and compassion and forgiveness. That's what tenderheartedness is, compassion. And we know what these things are. I don't think I need to go into great detail now of what kindness and compassion and forgiveness is. Um, But we know the research says that by doing these things, by pursuing these things, your quality of life will improve. Your quality of life will will improve. Um, Bitterness doesn't just end up hurting the person that you're trying to get back at. Bitterness hurts you. Nelson Mandela, when he left prison, he said, if I also didn't leave bitterness behind, I knew that I would still be in prison. That's what he said. It's Wise, wise words. But these things that he's saying, put on, set us free. They set us free, and they set other people free. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 18, 19. Let me read it to you. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And what this is basically saying is, hey, if there's a problem and you respond to it, there's a problem with your brother, you respond to it with anger and frustration and revenge and all that stuff, all it's going to do is not get them to be alerted to the problem. It's just going to get them to put their defenses up. And then when that happens and they put their defenses up and they come back at you, what does that do in you? It puts your defenses up. And all of a sudden, we've got Donald Trump's vision of this massive wall happening right in between your relationship that no one can get around or get over. That happens right in between relationships when we don't put on kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And Paul's saying, "No, do that. Do that. Pursue that." Maybe right now, as this is all happening, um, someone's popping into your mind right now. Maybe the Holy Spirit is doing that right now. There's someone who's popping into your mind, and you're thinking, Sheesh, "Do I need to be reconciled with that person?" Do I need to be reconciled with that person? I don't know if it's if if they've offended you or you've actually done something that that, that has offended them and hurted them. And I would say, I don't know all the context, I don't know all the surroundings, but I would say probably to the best of your ability, yes, you need to be reconciled to that person. It takes two people to reconcile. It takes two people to reconcile. Out of those two, one person needs to repent and one person needs to forgive. And I don't know where you might be. Maybe you are someone who has done something and hurt someone and sinned against someone. And God would say to you right now, hey, you need to go and you need to say sorry to that person and you need to repent to that person, regardless of how they respond to you. That's your role. That's your job right now. And if you're on the other side, if someone has hurt you, if someone has offended you, if someone has done something to you, your role right now is to forgive them, regardless of the fact that they might repent or not. That's, that's not in your control. To the best of your ability, you need to play your part in that reconciliation, So kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness, guys, this stuff frees everyone. And there's all these, all these good reasons and all the research and all that stuff. But here's Paul's motivation of why we should do this. He says, it: forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. And he's saying, let's be imitators then of our Father. Let's be imitators of our Father. It's, it's linked to the, the prophetic word that Polly shared earlier. Okay? We are His beloved children. Don't miss that. If you're a Christ follower, you are loved. You are deeply loved by God. You are His beloved child. You are His beloved child. And love changes us. Love does things in our hearts. Love gives us confidence. Love gives us abilities that we never thought we had. And so Paul saying, you are God's beloved children. And out of that... Need to be kind, and we need to be compassionate. But people who are kind and compassionate towards people who have perhaps been hurtful towards them are people that recognize that they themselves need forgiveness. If you if you're going to be someone who is going to be able to forgive someone, you need to recognize the fact that you need and needed forgiveness, and that's what Paul's saying. He's saying tenderheartedness is going to come from people who recognize that they themselves don't need judgment, they need grace and forgiveness. And right now, every single person in this room where there's lives that have been lived away from God, turned away from God, the end result of that is what Jesus faced, was death and the wrath of God. But that's not what we're left with. God sent Jesus to die that death so that we might experience forgiveness, so that we might experience grace. And we should thank God that he was not bitter with us. God has not been bitter. God has not harbored things. While we were still enemies, God didn't hold bitterness, but he gave his only son and died for us. Died for you, died for me, so that we could have our sins forgiven and be reconciled to God. Okay, remember Jesus. Right now, Jesus wants forgiveness for all of us. And when he was dying on the cross, as the people were crucifying him, what did he ask his father? He said, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. And then right after he prayed that prayer, he died on their behalf, and he died on your behalf, and he died on my behalf. So that we could be set free from our sin, given a new life, a new hope, reconciled to God. Everything that we were created to be. And Paul saying, hey, how can we not... Forgive other people when we have received that kind of forgiveness. No matter what the debt that someone else may owe you tonight, it will never compare to the debt that you and I have owed God, that he has cleared for us at great cost to himself. That's the message of the Christian faith. That is what Paul has pointed us here to tonight. The band's going to come up, and maybe you can stand And we're going to respond. Are we going to respond to this? We're going to respond to what Paul's been saying here. That we've got so much to rejoice and so much to be thankful for. And how we're going to respond tonight is we're going to we're going to take communion. Communion, the bread and the grape juice, it represents Jesus' broken body and Jesus' shed blood that was given for us on the cross to give us a new start, to wipe away the old, to bring in the new. And we get to participate in that tonight. And as Christ follows, as we come and we partake of this, um, a way to respond to all the stuff we've been grappling with tonight is to come and to confess and repent before God, to bring this stuff that God is highlighting and say to God, I'm sorry I bring this before you. It has not been right, but I know you died for me that I'm a child of yours. And right now, I bring this stuff for you. I leave it with you. And what I receive is a fresh experience of grace and a fresh experience of forgiveness.